Uh, it was about 10 years ago, and Sid and I were at a different church, and we started a new adult Sunday school class. Now, this church was really big into naming Sunday school classes. They just really liked that to be a recognition, so if you said it, immediately you would know which class they were talking about. Uh, and they had some pretty clever ones. One was uh, Practical Christian Living, is that PCL. So everybody called it PCL class. Another one was Through the Roof class, and that took off from the story in the Bible about the friends who lowered their friend down through the roof so that he could be healed by Jesus. That was pretty cool. So the leaders came to me one day and said, what would you like to, to call your class? And I said, desperate. And they looked at me, kind of like you are right now, and uh, they said, what? And I said, desperate. Let me explain. Aren't we all desperate for Jesus? I said, you know, that's, that's something that we share in common with each other. We're all desperate. Well, I don't have to tell you they did not use the name for that class. We went with something else. It seems that churches don't want classes called desperate. So we went on with something else. But I thought how interesting it was that we're looking into Psalms 130 tonight. And it's the whole first part of it is about being in despair or being desperate. Psalms is probably the most loved book in the whole Bible. Um, we find expression in the Psalms. We find expression for our deepest thoughts of reverence toward God. We find expressions of joy that we feel in knowing God. And we also find our desperate terror in, in the Psalms, being cut off from God. What does that look like? Well, we have it all in Psalms. We have music. Um, we have uh, theology, beauty, poetry, truth, wisdom, experience, emotion, a lot of emotion. And also we have praise, praise to God. Many of the psalms, if you've ever studied very many of them, you realize that they start out with kind of pain. Uh, the writer is going through something that's just very troubling, and he's coming before God, and, and he's showing emotions. He's showing this expression. I had a professor at DTS that said, the whole book of psalms can be summed up with three sentences. I am hurting, you, God, don't care, and they are winning. But if you study the Psalms, you'll see that what we're feeling as human beings, the pain, the anguish that we have, is also turned into praise for God and who he is. So we're going to look at this Psalms tonight and see that the pain doesn't end, but it it. It, is, um, it goes into worship of the king. From the beginning of life, we began to experience pain, even from day one. We have a three-year-old granddaughter, Scarlett, 
And last week she was at her big sister's kindergarten school and they had a pajama party at night where all the teachers uh, read them bedtime stories. And a lot of the kids were out on the concrete running and playing and Scarlett had on flip-flops and she was running wide open and tripped on her flip-flops and fell. And she had cuts and bruises and scratches from high on her legs all the way down to her ankles. And she screamed with pain. I mean, for this three-year-old, it was terror. She was desperate. So from the ripe old age of three, we know what pain is all about. And if only it would stop there, but it doesn't. We continue to experience desperation, our despair, as we grow. Listen, listen again to verse 1. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Out of the depths. That would even be a, a great title for this psalms. And, so, and the verse 2 says, Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. Several years ago, I was co-pastoring a church and we had a young couple from Cameroon, Africa. And they were just the cutest things. And they had two small toddler girls. They were just precious. And they found out that they were pregnant again with their third child. And they were so excited. And when they had this baby, they named her Baby Praise. It was, her, it was their third girl. Uh, they were shocked when the doctors came in and said, your baby's got some difficult heart problems, but we're going to monitor her. We're going to do everything we can. And so for the next few months, uh, this young couple went back and forth to the hospital. This little baby had extensive heart surgery, and she was doing pretty good. About five months, she was at the grocery store with her mom, and, and this young couple had had finally begun to feel a little bit of relief. And she was at the grocery store with her mom when she stopped breathing. And she was taken to the ER where she passed away. That evening, a lot of us from our community and the church went to that young couple's apartment. Um, and, and we had a traditional African wake. And I remember sitting there as we tried so hard to comfort this young couple in their despair. I remember hearing Burgeoning well at the top of her voice. She was crying out because the pain was so intense. And she felt such despair. She felt so desperate at this loss which words could not even describe. We feel pain from loss. It might come from loneliness. It may come from illnesses or, or physical pain. And also, there is a separation of God when we choose to go our own way and not God's way. I'm reminded of Jonah in the Bible. God said, Jonah... I need you to go to Nineveh. And what did Jonah do? He packed his bags, and we, he went as far in the opposite direction as he could go from Nineveh. 
because he chose not to do what God wanted him to do. And Jonah found desperation in the belly of a well when he was crying out to God. I'm reminded of, of John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace. If you don't know his story, he was a drunken sailor. He, he dealt with slave trade. And he lived a life of selfishness until he almost died at sea. And he cried out to God, and God saved him. After that miraculous transformation, he penned the words of amazing grace. We have presently a young man in our lives, a 36-year-old man. He is such a sweet, sweet friend to our family. He has been for a long time. We knew him at a church where Sid and I were working in the youth department. Uh, we've known him since he was 12 years old, and he was our, our son's best friend. This young man was raised in the church with his single mom, and he knew right from wrong, but he started experimenting at a very young age when he was in high school with drugs. And he literally has spent the past 20 years running away from Nineveh. He got hooked on drugs. He lived a life that was careless, where he used people. He was at the bottom. Well, less than a year ago, Sid received a phone call from this young man, and he had hit bottom. He was where he never thought he would be. He was desperate, and he was doing the only thing that he knew to do, and that was to cry out. He is now in rehab up in Philadelphia and doing quite well, only because of the miracle of transformation of Jesus Christ. So we see in this, in this um, scripture that this human emotion, whether it's caused from loss or illness or, or physical problems, we see that there is a separation from God, and only God is the one who can change that by listening to us. Verse 3 says, if you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? Don't you feel like that sometimes? That, that you just, you've sinned so much, you've walked away so often from God, and there's things in your life that you haven't given him. You give him most of your life, but not all of your life, and you feel that emptiness and you just want so much to cry out to him. That young man uh, that I talked about earlier reminds me of a drawing that I think we have a, a copy to go on the screen. This is a drawing that Robin Riddell did. And if you notice, oh, I think it really depicts the desperation of this young woman. If you look closely, I think you can see that it looks like she's been dragged through the mud. It looks like she might have some injuries on her body. Um, her face is desperate. 
she has fallen down, the water is, is raising. You know, I, I asked Robin for permission to use this drawing for this illustration. And as we were talking, she said, you know, that's a memory of mine. And I said, explain, could you expound on that? What, what is your memory of that? And she said, at one time I was homeless and I found myself in the car with someone I was very, very scared of. And I thought he might abuse me. So rather than sit there and allow him to do whatever he wanted to with me, I decided to jump. And so I opened the door in the moving vehicle and I jumped and I landed at the curb site. And she said, when I drew that picture, I can look at that woman and I see myself. And I thought, how many times could we also say that? That regardless of the circumstances, we find ourselves like sitting on the bottom of the ocean and we're trying to breathe. Have you ever been in a swimming pool where you stayed just a little bit too long? And you felt like, you know, I got to gasp. I got to gasp for that air. And you come up and you take this. <sighs> you know, when everything is closing in around you, I think this is a strong image of desperation, the kind that the writer of Psalms 130 is illustrating. But something Something happens between verses 4 and 5. The perspective of this person changes. God does not leave us in the depths. Let me, let me give you an illustration. Um, Brian and Bernie have three adorable children, twins and a little boy. And let's, let's just, let me use them for just a minute. Let's say that Brian is in the house alone, and uh, Bernie's gone out with two of the kids, and Catherine is, is in the house. He's at one end of the house, and he's sitting there, and he hears this blood-curdling scream come from across the house, and he recognizes that voice as being his child, right? Does, does he just sit there and go, it'll get better? I mean, there's something, isn't it, instinctive about a parent that the hair raises up on the back of your neck and you're like, that's my kid. And then without any thought, you run. And so Brian runs to Catherine to see what's wrong, what's causing her this anguish. And, and I couldn't help but think about that example and think how nothing could keep this father from going to his child who is hurting. And I see the same thing in Psalms 130, that, that this writer is saying, Lord, hear my cry. Don't you hear me? I'm hurting. I've got all these horrible things going on. Don't you hear me? But he has this feeling that God is listening because that is his father. And because he knows that he is God's child. We're going to, um, we're going to stop right here. 
let me read verse 4 for you. But with you, and now remember, this is the writer talking to God, but with you, there is forgiveness so that we can, with reverence, serve you. So there's this turning point, this, this shift with his perception of what he sees. Something, something is turning now, and now it seems like it might be hopeful. Uh, there's good news ahead. There's, there's a new opportunity for him. Something different is tonight. We're going to pause right here. Um, I'm going to ask Adam and Kelly to come up. And we are going to kind of create a space right now, a prayer, a time to contemplate where we are in our own personal lives. What I'd like you to do is, is uh, I would like you to join us in this time, a time to just sit, a time to sit in the presence of God, a time to inspect who we are, a time to confess to God where we have failed, calling failure by name. So Adam, after this prayer, will continue the second part of Psalms 130. Would you just bow with me and sit for a moment? Would you enter this time of prayer and confession now, allowing your heart and your mind to set in the presence of God? Almighty God, you alone are good and holy. Purify our lives and make us brave disciples. From lack of reverence for truth and beauty, from a calculating or a, sen a sentimental mind, from going along with mean and ugly things. God, deliver us. From cowardness that dares not face truth, laziness content with half-truth, or arrogance that thinks we know it all. God, deliver us. From artificial life and worship, from all that is how or insincere. God, deliver us. From trite ideals and cheap pleasures, from mistaking hard vulgarity for humor. God, deliver us. From being dull, pompous, or rude, from putting down our neighbors. God, deliver us. From cynicism about others, from intolerance, or cruel indifference. God, deliver us. 
from selfishness, self-indulgence, or self-pity. From everything that is in us that may hide your light. O oh God, light of life, forgive us. And all God's people said, Amen. As we said earlier, we, we did that. We did something a little different to illustrate that shift. That shift that Kathy was talking about. Did you notice it? Did you notice if you turn in your Bibles now? If you, if you haven't yet, would you turn to Psalm 130? And do you see what happens in between these verses? Do you notice the subtle shift? He goes from a place of desperation. He goes from a place of pain. And then we read, picking it up again in verse 5, this. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in His word, I put my hope. Now, does this sound like the same person who three or four verses earlier said, Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Where are you at? Does this sound like the same person that says, I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. You can shake your head yes or no. It's okay. Does it sound like the same person? No, it doesn't, does it? But there's this shift that happens. And if you see, if it's anything like in my Bible, there's a space in between those verses. And I think there's a space in which this writer prayed what we just prayed, and that is, God, deliver me. God, deliver me. And as Kathy illustrated so beautifully, God does. But in especially the stories that she shared of that young man who is connected to their family and of Robin Riddell, who, by the way, is now our other pastor's wife. Their stories, after saying, God delivered me, they were met with a choice. They were met by God, but they were also met with a choice. And here's the choice. It's the choice that you have, that I have, in all of your times of pain and desperation. And it's this. You can head out, or you can lean in. You can head out like Jonah did and say, this is too much pain, this is too much hurt, this is too much, I can't do it. And in your way of escaping the pain, you actually invite more pain. But the second choice, rather than head out, is you can lean in. And that's what happens somewhere, we don't know how, but somewhere that shift happens. And he goes from, I'm not going to head out, I'm going to lean in. And in verse 5 we see, I wait for the Lord. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. My Adam translation says this, I'm going to lean in. I'm going to lean in. Because the thing that happens is, I don't think his circumstances shift. Okay? I think he's still in the depths. I don't think he's been brought up to the heights yet. But what shifted, I believe, is a focus. And Scripture 
does that. The Psalms do that. It invites us to shift our focus. Because what happens is the person that Kathy's describing, the people that Kathy's describing, the writer that this psalm is illustrating, what our tendency to do as humans is to look at all the circumstances in our life, all the sources of our pain, all the sources of our desperation. And if you're like Robin was on the ground looking down, you're looking down at all the things that cause you that pain. But then what happens is, even in the midst of it, even if you're still on the ground, would we be people who choose, rather than head out, would we turn our head, shift our focus, and lean in to say, where does my help come from? It comes from God, and it's Him that I wait for. Scripture and the Psalms remind us to turn our focus from the circumstances and the pain and to shift to God who can deliver us. It's a shift in focus. You know who else is great at reminding us? These people in this room. And all the other people in this community who aren't here tonight, but would be there if you're a part of our fellowship with a text or a phone call. Scripture and community help us get our heads out of the dirt, out of our circumstances, out of our pain, and up to the Lord. Even if we're not out of the depths yet, Something just as simple as shifting our focus can change our whole hearts. So the same person that says, out of the depths I cry to you, is now saying, I wait for the Lord. And it's not just this kind of waiting that like, oh man, I'm waiting for Friday to come, baby. No, it's a whole being kind of waiting. You might be stranded and you might be in the ditch, But if you get your focus on the rescue, if you get your focus out of the ditch and down the road, you can start to lean into that kind of waiting, even in the chaos. So we are introduced to that word waiting. Who likes to wait? Raise your hand if you love waiting. You've not been to the DMV in a while. I went into a bank today because I had to sign something for this church. So Pastor Bud is in the ark with the kids, so he can listen to this, and hopefully I will have signed what I needed to have signed before then. But I walked into the bank to sign something for Pastor Bud in this church, and I looked on the list, and I see name, 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 name. And I said, nope. I chose to head out. I didn't lean into the line at Chase. Why? Because nobody likes to wait. It's tough, but it's part of our life. But see, there's a way for God's people to wait. His circumstance, I'm telling you, I don't think has changed, but his focus changes him. And what is he doing? He's waiting. Let's skip just real quick to verse 6. He repeats it again. I wait for the Lord. And if that's not enough repetition, you'll see in verse 6, he says the same phrase, not once, twice. So in the Psalms, they're repeating things all the time. Psalms don't necessarily rhyme words like our songs do. They rhyme thoughts. They rhyme ideas. And you see this kind of parallelism. But when the Psalms repeat something, and in verse 6 it repeats the same phrase twice, that means, hello, pay attention. 
I wait for the Lord more than the watchman wait for the morning. More than the watchman wait for the morning. How can God's people wait in a way that's leaning in and shifting our focus? How does a watchman wait? Two observations of how a watchman waits real quick. A watchman was somebody that would be the person tasked, usually in the nighttime. This was the hardest time to wait. And a watchman would wait on the outskirts of the camp with his people behind him. Sometimes you can think if it helps you imagine like the castle, right? Maybe think medieval times. Maybe think Lord of the Rings. It's the dude on the top of the castle and the community is behind him while everybody's sleeping. The watchman is up and he's looking, he's waiting. How does a watchman wait? Two ways. Number one, with active looking. The watchman waits with active looking. So God's people can learn from this psalm how to wait, even when your circumstances change, by, look, being a detective of divinity. Things may be going really poorly, but if I shift my focus, I'm going to see that God is even at work because God is not just with us in the green pastures when everything's good. He's also with us in the valley of the shadow. But the difference between seeing God when everything is peachy and seeing God in the valley of the shadow is sometimes in the darkness you've got to look harder. But like the watchman, we are waiting even in the night and we're looking, we're detecting where is God's hand. And so often as we talk about in this church, when we're in the valley of the shadow, our first question to impulse is this, why God, why, why, why? To wait as God's people are called to wait. To wait like a watchman waits for the morning is this act of looking where we don't ask why, but we say, okay, God, what are you doing around here? I can't see. It's dark. I'm fumbling around. I can kind of make out what's ahead, but I know that you're here with me even in the valley of the shadow, and I'm waiting for you, but help me. What are you up to? The first thing I think we can learn to wait as God's people, even in the chaos, even in our pain, is to lean in with some active looking. The second thing I think we can see in this repetition, more than a watchman waits for the morning is that he trusts the morning is actually coming. This week, from Monday to Friday, I was in Baltimore with a bunch of pastors, and it was a church planting training. It was a kind of boot camp as we kind of reboot our church. Uh, I was able to go and spend time, and one of the pastors there, one of his mantras that he says all the time is this, now is not forever. Now is not forever. And you can read that two ways. If you're in the dark, if you're that watchman looking for the morning, and you're in the pitch black, what is happening now is not forever. Can you trust that this is not the end? Can you trust that morning is coming? That's the way we wait for God's people. There's the second way we can look at that now is not forever. If you're over here in the green pastures in the green valleys, it's a way of watching and looking to say, you know what? My whole life ain't going to be green valleys all the time. Now, even now is not forever. So God, would you bless me? Would you give me courage? Would you help me lean in even when it's good? 
more than a watchman waits for the morning. The word that I'd like to attach to that waiting is this idea of expectancy. It's on the screen. This is the definition of the word expectancy. The state of thinking or hoping that something will happen. Last week we looked at the question, where does my help come from and where should I put my hope? And I used the word expectation. And I want to tell you, this preacher preached wrong. I used the word expectation. Expectation is different from expectancy. Expectation puts a limit on what we expect God will do. So if I could go back in time and talk about hope and talk about waiting, I would rather use the word expectancy. The kind of waiting that this psalmist is looking at is an expectancy. It's an active in the starting block state of being that says, I am waiting with my whole being. I am ready. I am not going to put a limit on what you may do. And so my question is, Where's those places of expectancy in your life? What are you longing for? If you were to write this psalm and say, my whole being waits, what are you waiting for? I've said before, many of you know that I went through a 12-step recovery program. I was in a 12, I helped lead a 12-step ministry. I love the steps. I think that process is for everybody. I think it's beautiful. And one of the things that got me in the very early stages is they asked a question that really addressed my longing. What is it in your life that you would say, if this, then I will be, fill in the blank, happy, fulfilled, great. If this happens, then I will be. Whatever you put in that if then is your longing. So the question then is, how is God inviting you to let him in to that longing? Because then you'll see, as we're back in our text, The kind of waiting and leaning in that allows you to, in his word, put your hope. Are you with me? Back there in verse 5. How is God inviting you to let him into that longing that he knows, that he understands, but can only find its rightful place in him? Are you with me? Where is your longing and where is God inviting you to lean in and let it find its rightful place and longing in him? And the psalmist says, in your word, I put my hope. And so let me just pause and I really want you to lean in here with me. What word are you begging God for? God I need to hear from you. And sometimes as Christians, we make such a mess of what it means to hear from God. And, and, and I, don't, I, I can't give you the science of it, but I can tell you, the more you sit and wait, the more attuned to the kinds of nudges that God wants to give you, you can become. What word would God love and long to speak to you? And what word does he want you to reject? 
The word that says you're not good enough. The word that says you'll never make it. The word that says now is forever. This will be like this. This is who you are. This is your life. What word does the Lord want to speak over you? Maybe it's beloved. Maybe it's forgiven. Maybe it's this is not the end. What word is it? It's the word that will produce this kind of hope that the psalmist is after. Verses 7 and 8, the psalmist closes by saying this, Israel, God's people, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love, and with Him is full redemption. If you're hearing from the Lord some kind of condemnation, let me tell you something, it is not the Lord. Does he speak truth and conviction? Hear me. Hear me now, please. Does he speak truth and conviction? Yes. But Jesus Christ, John chapter 1 tells us, was full of grace and truth. So if you are hearing or sensing something other than unfailing love, something other than full redemption, you are hearing something other than God. Because Jesus is full of grace and truth. Jesus reveals the God that this psalm reveals. And so you can hope and trust and lean in because you can know this God. That in Him is unfailing love. You can never outrun Him. You can never outsin Him. You can never outdo Him in showing love to others. So to hope Him and lean in and trust in Him, you have to know Him. And hope is grown in the fertile soil of prayer. Sometimes God will get to you and He will get His Word in when you are running and you least expect it, sometimes, but most times, when you are these people that Kathy describes, would you be courageous enough to not head out, but to lean in, because most times, God wants you to sit down and get hold of Him. God wants you to sit down. Why? Because it forms us. It forms in us this life that's not that God is our escape plan, but that He's growing in us a life with Him. So, the psalmist concludes, He Himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. He ends on a note of hope. And He ends, I believe, changed because He's changed His focus. And His focus has changed Him just like he has changed and is changing the people that Kathy described, just like that woman who was face down in the mud was transformed, we know and we can hope that he is good and he will never leave us. Would you bow with me in a word of prayer as we come to a close this evening? Lord Jesus, we are so grateful that you are full of grace and truth. We pray that you would meet us in your immeasurable grace and you would speak to us the unchangeable truth. We ask that you would bless and keep us. We ask that we would be people who would lean into you. We ask all of these things in the strong name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
Amen. O oh God, you come to us in the depths of our darkest despair, in the suffering of Jesus Christ. By the rising of your Son, give us new light to guide us, that we may always praise your holy name, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now go in peace.